An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, like, I can't say good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. Well, they tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem and that that you can stay stay is a staple and then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, and then they saw angels. The angel said, A new baby is get, getting born who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and <laughs> some wipes, and some milk, some <laughs> shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. It's like, like that's a, that's the best that's the best way to tell the story. I think this week I think I watched that like two times for the purposes of preparing my message, and then I watched it like forty five other times just because it. My favorite, like, there's two favorites. Uh, one is that it's gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. I thought that was great, uh, and the other one was the kid who said it two times. The Bethlehem. Ha, ha, ham, and I just think that's so funny, and it's so cute. Uh, and these kids, they they get the story, they get the story right for the most part. Like there are some details about the story that they they mess up a little bit. There are some details of the story that they miss. There are some things that they insert that maybe weren't a part of the story. But but in general, 
in general. They, they know that there are these people that are a part of something and it was going to be a big deal. And this thing that they were a part of that was going to be a big deal was going to end up and it was going to point to this person by the name of Jesus. And I don't think that it's, it's, it's so different than, than you or me. I mean, I think sometimes we, we don't get the whole story right. Not all the time. And we, we kind of know most of it. And we kind of like if, if somebody were to put a microphone in our face and say, hey, tell me the story from start to finish. Like we, we might get some of it wrong. But we know that this season is it's all about, it's all about a whole bunch of people that were a part of something. And it's not just the people that were there just, just over 2,000 years ago. It's, it's us that were a part of something that was a really big deal. And, it, and it's going to point us to Jesus. I mean, that's what this whole season is about. It's what the whole story is about. You get as many of the details wrong as you want. As long as it's pointing to Jesus, like what else do you need to know? It's why we do all that it is that we do. It's why that we, we have our parking lot lit up. Like the most beautiful Christmas lights in all of Des Moines are, are in our parking lot. Why? Why are any of the lights on any of the houses in any of the communities in, in any place in the world? Why is it? It's because of, of Jesus. It's because of the season. Why, as a church, are we partnering with a, an organization called YWAM to build homes for people who don't have homes in Tijuana, Mexico? And then we're going to be able to go down and be a part of building them. We do this Advent project and we ask you to pray and to give and to participate. Why? Not because we just wanted to do something cool this time of the year. It's, it's because it's a part of a great story. It's, it's a part of, of who Jesus is. And so what we have the opportunity to do with one another over the course of Advent, this season that leads us to Christmas, is it allows us to take a closer look at, at what's involved and who's involved and what does it mean for us if we see ourselves as a part of this story. If we slow down and we start to see what, what are all the things that God was doing in the lives of people in the story of Christmas. And what we start to realize and we start to understand when we take a closer look at it is we can identify with most of it. I asked my wife, Bridget, uh, just earlier this week, I said, hey, do we still have that little people uh, nativity set in our house? Like this was the one that we had uh, when, when our kids were really little because the, the characters were easy to play with. And she's like, I don't know I don't know what we did with it. Like, we don't have it anymore. And I think it's because if you push the angel, like, there's a song that sang. So I think someone, some family who needed a nativity scene more than we did was gifted with our little people nativity scene. But she said, the preschool still has one. My wife's a teacher in our preschool. And she said, the only problem with the nativity scene that we have is, is Joseph's missing. Like someone stole Joseph. Like there's some three-year-old walking around with Joseph in his pocket. I don't know where Joseph is. But I think a lot of us, when we think about the story of Christmas, we, see, we, we, we think like, well, the wise men, they're pretty important. Men, they're the ones who, who bring the gifts. <laughs> maybe we think they're really important because maybe that's the reason why all of us give gifts. It's not. It's because Jesus is the greatest gift. We say, oh, the wise men, they're, they're pretty important, although they shouldn't be that close to the manger because they weren't there that day. Or maybe you say it was the shepherds. The people who, culturally speaking, were completely on the outside. 
wouldn't have ever imagined that they would be able to be part of the story and, and somehow God, God appears to them. Or, or maybe it's the angel, God's messenger. But I don't know a lot of us that would say the real pivotal part of the story is Joseph. We don't know a lot about Joseph. I mean, we, we, we page through the stories of Scripture. We really, really only encounter Joseph twice. You'd think we could say to ourselves, we could convince ourselves that if Joseph was really integral to the story and needs to be in place in order for it to be complete, then, then maybe we would know more about him. I mean, we only hear about him here in the story of Matthew and the story of the birth of Jesus. And, and then again, when Jesus is about 12 years old, and his family goes to the temple, and then his parents lose him on the way home. And we can look at the story of Jesus, and we can say, well, obviously Mary's an important part. I mean, it's Mary who the angel appears to. Imagine, we're going to talk about Mary next week. But of all the people and all the places that God would appear to and say, Mary, you're the one. You're the one that's going to carry the Savior of the world. I mean, the angel appears to Mary and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord, the Lord is with you. But truth be told, if we start to look at the story, a lot of us would probably associate more with Joseph than we would with Mary. And maybe a lot of us, because of something that's going on or something that has gone on in our lives, we, we, we look at the scene of our lives and we say, maybe I, don't play, maybe I don't play that important of a part at all. And if I wasn't a part of the scene, somebody might say, well, I don't know what happened Joseph. Because conventional wisdom would tell us that it's a lot easier to be Mary than it is to be Joseph. But if we slow down, we take a look, we see that there's an unbelievable journey that Joseph is a part of. That has a lot to say about who we are and what we experience. I mean, because Joseph, when we first meet him, well, things had changed for him. Joseph was in a point in his life, before somebody comes and tells him what was going on, Joseph was in a point in his life where everybody, everything seemed to be going exactly the way that it was supposed to go. I mean, everything was lined up. I mean, Joseph had, had, had worked so hard and, and pointed his life to say, if I just do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, then, then really I'll, I'll be able to, to do what I feel like I'm called to do. My, my dreams will be fulfilled. I mean, the time in which Joseph lived, one of the most important things was to be able to, to have a family so that you could pass on your family name. And in a matter of an instant, that dream was shattered. Have you ever felt that way? 
so like, it just feels as if everything and whatever it is that you're a part of is on track and everything's going exactly the way or, 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 or most, mostly the way that I wanted it to go. Until it wasn't. Just this last week, I was together with some friends with a group of people. It was Tuesday night. And we were going around a table, and everybody was sharing about what, what do they love most about this season? The season of Advent, the season of Christmas. We're like, what's the, what's the best part? And so everyone's going. They're sharing, getting together with family, opening gifts, sharing a meal, doing all those things. And we get to this friend of mine, somebody who I look up to, somebody that I just absolutely love. We've been friends for a while. And we get to him, and he said, you know, I'm going to be honest that for me, Christmas is just something that I live vicariously through my kids and through my wife because Christmas has never been a good time for me. So over 15 years ago, it was on Christmas Eve that he lost somebody that he loved. Where everything seemed to be shattered in an instant. And, and I think that there's a lot of us who are well more, way more acquainted with that than we'd like to be. Because life sometimes has a way of, of just changing on us. In ways sometimes that we'd rather it wouldn't change. And so what do we do? I mean, I think hindsight's a beautiful thing. I think hindsight's a wonderful thing. I think if Joseph were given the, the gift of hindsight, Joseph in that moment could have said, well, this is great. This is wonderful. But, but in that moment, all that Joseph knew is that everything was going to change. I think about when uh, my wife Bridget was pregnant with our son Trey, and we were going through all those classes to get ready uh, for, for his birth. And so we did all these classes. We did all these things. And, and one of the last things that we did as a couple is they wanted us to develop our birth plan. So there are all of these decisions that we were going to have to make as parents. Like, and so what they did is they gave us like two, uh, like about 14 cards. And on, the, on each side of each card was a different decision that we were going to have to make. Things like, would we want to have the birth at home or would we want to have the birth in the hospital? Would we want people present in the room or would we want, uh, would, would we want nobody to be there? Would, would we want to, Bridget to do it without medication or with medication? And so this wonderful person who's leading this class is telling us, you know, like, put some thought into these things. And so what we're doing is we're kind of carefully saying, oh, yeah, we both would agree. We both would agree. And we have it all. We have this plan ordered just perfectly that suits exactly what both of us desired. And all of a sudden, this person who at one point I thought was wonderful, she comes and she starts flipping cards over. And I looked at her and I said, what are you doing? And I'd flip them back to the way that we wanted. And she said, it's not always going to go the way that you want it to. And I said, my cards, my rules. <laughs> and I'll never forget how she responded to me. She said, it doesn't always go that way in life, and it won't always go that way in your child's birth. And I wonder how many of us have that feeling that somebody flipped a card over on us. 
And not only did they flip a card over on us, or life flipped a card out over on us, but it doesn't seem as if anybody cares what our opinion on the whole thing was either. I mean, Joseph, he didn't volunteer for it. It wasn't like, you know, there, there was some, some sort of, uh, like, lottery or some sort of sign-up or some sort of thing that you could say, you know what, do you want to be a part of this? And, and Joseph and Mary, they put their names on a sheet of paper and they, they sent them in and they just, they couldn't wait for what the results would be. No, one day... When Joseph is experiencing life just the way he wants to experience life, something happens. And Joseph, and and people are telling him, like, well, this is just what God wants. And Joseph is probably thinking to himself, well, did God ask me? I mean, why does it feel like some of the the biggest decisions that are being made in my life that nobody's asking how I feel about it? I remember um, summer after my fifth grade year, it was when I was in fifth grade, I was diagnosed as diabetic. It's, been, it's not been a big thing in my life at all. But one of the stories that we tell as a family that was, uh, my parents always tell me that I need to drop it, I need to let it go. But that summer, uh, I loved playing baseball. Baseball is my favorite thing. And in Fargo, the city that I grew up in, every year at the end of the baseball season, they would do an all-city team. And they would bring all of the little, all, all, like all the little league teams, they, they, they'd put an all-star team together. And then you'd play in this tournament called the Dr. Pepper Tournament. And so that was always your dream. Like, could I make the Dr. Pepper team? And, and, and the summer after fifth grade was the last year that you could do it. And it was the big year that you could do it. And that year, my name got chosen. Like I was going to be on the Dr. Pepper all-city team, and I couldn't have been happier. And my parents come to me when I told them that I was going to be in the Dr. Pepper tournament, and they said, well, actually, uh, we're going to have you do something else because there's this camp for kids who are diabetic that you need to go to. And I thought to myself, no, I'm not going. And they're like, you have to go. And I said, I don't want to go. And they told me, the choice isn't yours. And if you would have asked me in that moment, would I have rather gone and played baseball or in my mind, gone and hung out with a bunch of sick kids, like baseball is going to win every time. And they told me, well, it's going to be good for you. You'll play a lot of baseball games in your life, but this is an opportunity for you to kind of get things off on the right foot. Now, hindsight, that was the right decision. But in the moment, I thought, why don't you guys care what I think about this? What you're deciding for me doesn't feel good to me. And I wonder if Joseph felt the same thing. And I wonder if you feel the same way. And so given all of that, Joseph gets to a point and he basically says, I'm out. I'm done. And he decides, you know, it's, the Bible says he's, he's a righteous man. He, he wants to do things correctly. So he doesn't want to disgrace Mary. He doesn't want to make a big deal about it. But this season of his life, is over. It's done. It needs to be put to rest. 
which wasn't easy for him, and I'm sure it was incredibly painful for him. And we know that feeling. Because I wonder how many times we've had to put things to rest that we didn't want to. Because of shattered dreams that we feel were taken from us without our permission. And it's in those moments that faith is really hard, isn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if faith had felt like it had a little bit more substance to it? And so Joseph was faced with a situation where he was going to have to begin to put a little bit more faith in the middle of his doubts. And I'm not asking you to right now, but I'm wondering what it would look like if we started to look at the story of Joseph and to see what changed. Because somehow, even though he doesn't want to be, he ends up here. And I'm sure looking back on his unbelievable journey, there were so many things that he wished would have gone a different way, but he wouldn't have changed it. Take a look. Joseph. You are a brave man. And you are godly. And I should have said thank you. God told me to. I know he did. Mm. You had a choice. Uh, I don't believe that I did, but I'm glad, either way. I wouldn't change a single thing that has happened since that dream. Hmm? Neither would I. <laughs> oh, this all seems impossible, huh? Yes, yes. But remember what the messenger said to me? Mm -hmm. Nothing is impossible with God. My messenger didn't say that. That would have been nice, huh? <laughs> <sighs> mm -hmm. Are you feeling better? Hmm? A bit, yes. Okay. Up, up. Okay. to move quicker. You need water and I plan to get settled for the part where your messenger and my messenger said the same thing. And she will give birth to a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Yes, that part. Come on. want to for a moment just take a look at it, just really an intentional look at, at Joseph. We're going to notice this a lot next year as we go through the whole Holy Bible in a year. There aren't any phrases and any statements in the Bible that are, aren't intentional. 
So when we walk through this story, we see just how very intentional God is with it. Because if we look at the story of Joseph, the first thing that we learn is that Joseph needed, he needed to take a minute. I mean, just, just, the, just before this, Joseph had made his mind. He's like, you know what? It's done. It's over. And then for some, for, somehow, for some reason, Joseph decided that he, that he needed to pause. Why is it that sometimes when we face decisions, both, both, both joyous ones and difficult ones, we have a tendency of thinking that time is our enemy rather than our friend. Have you ever noticed that? I remember when Bridget and I were uh, looking to purchase our first home, the first big purchase we were going to make, make with one another. And I realized that when, when it says in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, and patience, that patience isn't something that comes for me, naturally for me at all. Because our realtor would take us to a house and we would take two steps in the house and be like, I'll take it. We're in. And, and then we, Bridget would be like, no, this isn't the one. And our realtor would say, well, don't you want to see some of the rooms in the house? I'm like, no, it has walls. It has a door. I'm sure it has bathrooms and bedrooms. We're good to go. What else could we need? And Bridget said, we need to slow down. We would go to the next house. And I'd be like, oh, it's the one. And Bridget said, you can't come along anymore. And I literally was uninvited to the shopping for our very first home, which was a very good thing. And she and, and, and she and I talked about it, and she said, why were you so quick to want to make a decision? And I said, because I was scared if I didn't make the decision right away that maybe I would miss it. And I wonder how many times we do the same thing. I mean, God wired us in an incredible way with a, a response that's called fight or flight. And sometimes when we're facing something incredibly, incredibly difficult or just with a lot of weight, we, we go into that flight mode so fast. The first thing that Joseph did was he began to consider it. Could this actually be more than I can see in this moment? Could God actually be up to something? I mean, it's one of the most well-known passages in not just the book of Psalms, but all of Scripture. It's Psalm 46.10 where, where the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. And I think sometimes we rush to the and know that I am God and we, we don't pause and, and realize that, that the psalmist says in order for that to some, happen and to be realized, sometimes we just need to be still. And that does not come naturally for us at all. In our house, we've instituted this thing, like our, our kids and us as well. We have times during the day where all devices are put away, all TV is put away, all everything is, is put away. And it's time to just be quiet. Let me tell you how well that's going over in my house right now. Like, why do we have to do this? Because sometimes you rush from thing to thing so fast that you quit living life. And you might miss some of the greatest gifts that are right in front of you. The way Joseph almost missed it. But Joseph took a minute and in that moment he was able to start to create some space to be able to listen. Listen. 
you could probably ask any of the, 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 the care people or, or pastors on our staff, what's one of the most often asked questions that people have? And one of the most often asked questions is people will say, why doesn't God speak to me the way that he speaks to everybody else? Because it seems like somebody hit the mute button on God in my life. And not as a way of like, kind of like trying to beat anybody up, but sometimes the response is, well, how much time have you taken to listen? Maybe sometimes God's trying to get our attention, but we're too busy telling God what he needs to do that we aren't able to hear him share with us what he's already doing. The first thing that the angel, God's messenger, says to Joseph is, Joseph, don't be afraid. Fear is a crazy thing, isn't it? Fear is something that creeps into our lives and it absolutely just takes a hold. We were scared of everything. Because things get going so fast and our brains just start moving in ways that we start to create realities that just don't exist. And I wonder all of the realities that Joseph was creating in his mind. If this happens, I'm sure one of the first things he thought is, What's everybody going to think? Joseph needed to be reminded that God's truth is greater than people's perceptions. We have a, we have a middle schooler and, and another who's going to be in middle school next year. And one of the things that we're honest with our kids about it. It's like, hey, this is going to be some of, the greatest, some of the greatest years of your life, but it's also going to be some of the hardest years of your life. It's going to be hard because you're going to do all of these things. You're going to be tempted to do all of these things just in order to fit in. That's one of the reasons why like our, our student ministry here at Hope is so incredibly important. Is we get to speak God's truth in the middle of it. We, 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 get, we get students in, in, the, in, the most, in, in the most influential years of their life and we're able to say, you know what? Everybody's going to have a perception and everyone's going to have an opinion and everyone's going to be, be pulling you in so many different directions and let us speak God's truth into the middle of that because you, and maybe this isn't just for the kids, you're more than what people think that you are. You don't have to try to fit in something in order for, for you to be valuable in the world's eyes. Like you can be valuable no matter what it is that's going on in your life. 
Life isn't simple. It's not just point A to point B. Our lives take twists and they take turns. And in the middle of that, we need something that we can hold on to that keeps us grounded. I mean, Joseph's probably thinking like, if I, if I go through with this and I, and I stay with her, people are going to start to say, well, Joseph, we know the time frame and you, you didn't follow the rules, Joseph. I mean, you should, should probably be a little bit more faithful, Joseph. Or people start to hear that, that somehow they're claiming that Mary's pregnancy was because of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's thinking, they're, gonna, they're going to think that we're nuts. What are people going to think of me? And that's a really hard thing to wade through, isn't it? And sometimes we jump through so many hoops just in order to try to make it seem as if we're okay. And what if we took God's word on that rather than everybody else's? And maybe we'd start to see that even when it seems as if our plans have gone off the rails that God's plans never will. What Joseph saw as an end was the greatest beginning that the world would ever know. And I wonder for you, where it is that you feel like something has come to an end. And what if you were to start to entertain that maybe God could take that end and he could create something new? Because that's just who he is. And that's just what he does. Because often our ends can be God's new beginning. I mean, you, you read through the story of God with his people. I mean, it's Abraham and Sarah who God had promised that they were going to have a child and they were going to have descendants that were going to outnumber the stars in the sky. But, but they had gotten to an age where they felt like that dream had been lost, that that dream had come to an end. And God said, no, I'm just, I'm just beginning. You think about Moses. Who the people actually trusted that Moses could be the one who would lead them from slavery in Egypt into the prom and freedom into the promised land, and, and all of a sudden, as the, the Israel or as the Egyptians are chasing them from behind, they hit something that seems to be immovable. They, they they encounter the Red Sea, and it seems as if they'd come to an end. And God says, Moses, raise your staff because this is just a new beginning. Think about the Israelites when they're they're facing this giant by the name of Goliath, and they don't see any way that they could ever overcome that. It seems as if their story had come to an end. But God says, no, it's just the beginning. And it's not that God is somehow causing the bad things to happen, but God is a God who promises to bring good even in the middle of what we see as bad because his plans are just that good. And through it all, he promises us that we're never going to be alone.
I mean, that's the name that's attributed to Jesus. That the virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, and say it with me, that God is with us. How does that change our lives when that's how we start to live? How does that help us wade through the times in which we feel as if our plans and our dreams have been shattered when we know that the one who created everything is standing with us? And that he actually loves us. It wasn't easy for Joseph and Mary. And even after their messengers showed up to them, it wasn't like everything that was hard went away. They were human too. And I wonder how many times they had to remind them, themselves and remind each other. When one of them got to a point and said, no, this, I just can't do this anymore. And the other would say, don't forget what God said. And don't forget what God promised. And you shouldn't either. Don't ever forget what God says. That he loves you. That he sends his son to us. And what he promises. That nothing in all of creation could ever separate us from his love. It's true for us and it's true for Joseph and Mary even as the time was getting really close. Take a look. Mary, look at no, me. No, 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 I can wait. I just go get someone. Don't look over there, Mary. Look at me. We are not alone. I'm so scared. Remember what your messenger said. The first thing your messenger said. It was the same thing my messenger said to me. Remember? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love you. I love you. Thank you for taking care of me. God gave you to me. He has been our help. And in the shadow of his wings, we will sing for joy. A song of David. <laughs> oh. Can I hear yours now? Not now. Oh. Oh, I know, I know. It is time, yes? Yes. Okay. Yes. It is time. It's okay. I'll go to Joseph, or God used Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and, and the wise men. convey his message to the world. Now here's like one of the greatest parts about it. Is he uses you too to share his hope with the world. That this story doesn't have to stay here, but you and I get to take this story, the story of preparation so that we can prepare our hearts and minds to receive the greatest gift that the world has ever received, that God could use us and move through us 
to share his love with the world around us. So we put up our lights and we, we get involved with Advent projects and we come together and we worship and we invite people to come and to see that God is good and even in times where it doesn't feel as if we, we can see it. Even in times where it feels as if faith is the most difficult thing that we could ever try to hold on to. And maybe we need to realize that it's not so much about our faith in God, but it's that God has faith in us. Because he gives us this message of hope. It's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. It's what we trust in, but we don't yet see that keeps us going. Don't you, do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? Think about how unlikely it is that the message of what happened is God prepared the world for Jesus to come the first time actually made it to you. And the odds were stacked against that happening in every way possible. And so many times I'm sure the people of God said that, well, this thing is going to come to an end. And, and God says, no, your ends are my beginnings. Because I'm the one who, who fights the good fight for you. I'm the one who wins those battles for you. And so you don't need to do the work. You just need to open your heart to receive the good news and let me win the victory for you. This victory that the world desperately needs to hear. The victory and the gift that we'll celebrate in, in, in not too long of a time. It's, it's almost here, but it's, it's not here yet. And so between now and between then, we have work to do, don't we? We have a world who needs to know that there is a God who really, really loves them. Who's creating a story through them the way he created an unbelievable story through Joseph. So don't let it stay here. Take it out there and, and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. On the way in which he moved and the way in which he continues to move. And so I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing a song as we close, a song that proclaims the truth of a God who never quits, who's never done, who's always moving, and whose love endures forever. Amen.